Welcome to the Midnight Society. I'm Erin. And I'm Amanda. And we're here to talk about ghost stories. True ghost stories. Things that have happened to us, things that we want to investigate, and things that have happened to you. Email us your experiences at midnightsocietyae at gmail.com or leave us your first-hand story as a voicemail at 978-938-4BOO. Hello! Hello! Welcome to the Midnight Society. I'm Amanda. I'm Erin. And we're here with something a little bit different for you this month. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be talking about a documentary that is called Afraid of Nothing. Yep. We had this great opportunity to interview, well, Amanda did. Amanda had this great opportunity to interview Bob Heskey, the creator of this documentary. And I think... Uh, I think you're going to hear directly from him. You're going to hear a little bit of color from us. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're excited to share a few things that we've learned. Yeah, absolutely. So this month's episode isn't going to focus so much on bringing some stories together around a topic. It's going to focus... Although he does have some stories that he's adding in there. So don't worry, you're still going to get your spooky spooks. Yes. I came here to talk about spooky spooks and chew gum and I'm all out of gum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Look out, world. Literally the only person who's going to laugh at that joke. <laughs> but so the way that we ran into Bob Heskey is a little bit unusual. We were just sort of like wandering around Salem on our ghost crawl last month, as yeah. a matter of fact. Our friend Katron uh, works in the film industry and has a lot of sick hookups, basically. And essentially through her network, we were put in contact with Bob. Um, and Bob is a lot like us, you know, talking to him felt like talking amongst, you know, us and our podcast. Okay. Between me and Aaron, um, <laughs> he, you know, he came to the topic of the afterlife from, you know, essentially I would maybe an agnostic perspective. He really mm -hmm. didn't have any set beliefs. Um, and that this, he communicated anyway to us in right. this interview. Yeah. I think that, you know, and you'll hear from him too about why he wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about this documentary is really that he brought together such a diverse cast of people mm -hmm. from different perspectives and th different disciplines, different interests. Some of them are specializing in topics that you've heard us talk about before. So, you know, uh, maybe past life regression or EVPs. EVPs. Yeah, we've got a witch. We've got a ghost hunter. A ghost hunter. All sorts of fun stuff. And I think it's really cool you know, to your point that he came into this similarly to us, didn't mm -hmm. know, just kind of like exploring things. And he mentions in the interview, which we'll play for you, that a lot of these people he met just through networking and like, oh, I happened to find out that so-and-so knew so-and-so. Absolutely. And that's exactly how we met him, mm -hmm. you know? So I think there's a little bit of uh, synchronicity to the way yes. in which we connected with him. Yeah, and it felt good. I mean, I guess that's part of the reason why we make this podcast, right? Is to like sort of contribute to that community that mm -hmm. we want to feel, mm -hmm. you know? So I think it'll be fun to talk about what Bob's been doing and the documentary he made. So why don't we just let him introduce himself? My name is Bob Heskey. Um, I am actually 56 years old. I live in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. I had actually always wanted to be a screenwriter. I started writing feature scripts and short scripts when I was in my 30s, and finally I got tired of waiting and made a feature when I was 50, which wasn't the film we're talking about tonight. It was a drama called Blessed. And um, after I made that film, I pretty much had film fatigue. It did well, but it took a long time, and I wasn't going to make anything else. But then we met through my wife. Uh, uh, kind of an interesting character came to our house. He was a shaman 
who had kind of an interest in working with autistic children. I have an autistic daughter, so we met him, and he was a really unique character. And I thought, oh, my God, it would be good to do a, a documentary on this guy. I had also recently just lost my mom a couple of years ago, and, um, you know, frankly, the experience left me cold. It wasn't like any warm, you know, she didn't see any relatives waiting for her or anything. She had Alzheimer's, and she was struggling for seven days, not eating, you know. And so it was just kind of cold and left me kind of flat a little bit. And it left me with a lot of questions about what happens with our mortality when we pass. So when I met Brad, a shaman, he had had the same feelings when his mother passed. And then he had kind of a reawakening. And uh, he had all these insights and became kind of very spiritual. And his third eye, I guess, or whatever, opened up. And from that, uh, it really piqued my interest that maybe I should explore him and other people to see what they're seeing that I'm not. That's great. I do think there's something to be said for doors opening when you Mm -hmm. need them to open. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's interesting to me that all of that just sort of happened serendipitously. You know, his mother had passed away. And I know that we can both and probably a lot of our listeners can relate to that too, that feeling of like, God, I never thought I had to put much thought into this, but now I'm obsessed with it. Or mm-hmm. now it's like I have this emotional like connection to you know what happens right. in the afterlife. And at I'm that same a time, lot of questions. right? Exactly, mm-hmm. asking a lot of questions that I might not have been asking before. And at that same time, this shaman, this shaman healer, came into his life um, in sort of conjunction with one of Bob's kids. So I thought it was really compelling that he talked about that. Um, And it it sort of leads into, you know, okay, so he's talking about Brad in this documentary, but what else is he talking about? And the point being that he drew together a really, really diverse group of folks who have all different sort of specialties and disciplines, Mm -hmm. um, not just shamanism and interest in the paranormal, but things that we have never really researched before. Right. He talked to an astronomer. He Mm -hmm. talked to which I finally said correctly earlier, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen and fellow other listeners. I kept saying like, a, a astronomer. It was a rough prep <laughs> session, guys. It's a rough prep session. I'm really tired. <laughs> We're going to edit this out so it doesn't even matter. Are you sure? Oh, God. Uh, anyway, well, yeah. I don't even remember what I was saying. So back to the interview, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Originally, I was going to make the documentary about Brad. I had blown most of my savings on my first film, and so my wife was like, you know, um, well, first I was surprised, or at least I heard her say it was okay to do it, because she has, <laughs> she's kind of a closet psychic that came out a little while ago, and I have a daughter, both my daughters, I have two young daughters, one's autistic, she's 11, another's going to be 13, and they've had some kind of experiences, and we live in this little old kind of 1700s house that was originally, you know, owned by an alleged witch and then a colonial hero, and it had this really weird 300-pound stone key in the uh, basement that nobody – I mean, I, I had a friend that worked for Antique Roadshow, and I talked to people across the country, and nobody had any idea what it was. Um, the bad news was since nobody had any idea what it was, there wasn't, like, an interest in looking for that type of thing, you know, but it just – it was just really – Kind of an odd thing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So I actually met other people beyond Brad. I uh, had a friend who directed my first film. His name's Rob Fitz. He's in the film. He owned. He used to be a makeup artist. He used to do makeup in front of the Magic Parlor in Salem. And when they were selling it, he wanted to keep it alive, so he actually bought it, you know, from them. And he now runs. The, he's had it for about three years, I guess. <clears throat> so I had this contact. In Salem, you know, one of the most haunted towns in the United States. So through 
Brad, I, I mean, I'm sorry, through Rob, I met other people, and, you know, quite frankly, I also went to a couple things, like I would Google, I would go to an INS, International Association of Near Death um, a group or whatever, and I would meet people there. So I, I, from a mixture of my contacts and Rob with people in Salem and just Googling people, I mean, people eventually just came to me, and I had a real – I had people that didn't want to do it, and that's fine. You know, that's the way it is. And um, But the people that I got, I was really happy with. They were uh, kind of a unique group, and uh, I thought it was an interesting uh, uh, mashup of quantum consciousness and the paranormal that I assembled for this for this film. So, obviously, he met a lot of people through this mm-hmm. Lots project. to unpack. He has been very gracious about introducing us to a lot of these individuals. So, a lot of these characters that you're going to hear about tonight, today, whatever time it is, where mm-hmm. you are, you might actually be hearing from them first person very soon. Absolutely. Yep. So, we have lots of different angles to present to you in future episodes. Yes. But let's get back to Bob. Afraid of Nothing is um, a, a, an experimental documentary, meaning it's experimental that I didn't know how it was going to end. You know, I just pretty much mm-hmm. – I went and shot one day at a time. It was a very low budget. It was myself, a sound guy, a camera person, and then an editor. So I would shoot a weekend, and then it would be a couple months before I could afford to shoot something else. So I would edit that and get the best of and then shoot something. So it gave me time to research and find what else I wanted. I would know the footage I had, and then I could research and find who else I wanted to interview. Um it came about again. It was really a mix of two things. My mom, who passed from Alzheimer's, she uh, afraid of nothing is a double entendre. It's kind of half the world is afraid that when you pass, there's nothing, and the other half thinks there's nothing to fear, right? Um, for myself, it was almost a triple entendre meeting because when my mother had Alzheimer's, she didn't recognize me the past year or so of her life. And I had this feeling like if, you know, your own mother who used to, you know, when you walked in, you would light up the room and she's just, you know, she looks at you like she looks at every other person in the world. If that goes away, does anything mean anything? You know, I was left kind of empty and I went through some depression. And um, so I just, you know, I had to kind of discovery. I was going through, uh, you know, a real emptiness about my existence. So I decided to go ahead and try to find some answers. And this documentary was the best way to do it. It really isn't just a, a bunch of ghost hunters. It's a mixture of paranormal people. It's a mixture of psychics, mediums, shamans, people who have reawakened in midlife, seekers, um, authors, and astronomer. There's some science in there as well. So it's a, it's a good mix of people that I would want to kind of, and you know, that I wanted to talk to. And the documentary is mostly me observing them. I don't really put myself in the camera too much, really at all, though I do, you know, there are, you hear my name a couple times or me off camera, but really the big thing about the film was to kind of really explore the afterlife through a bunch of different lenses and then see if there was some common thread at the end. Bob, if you're listening, thank you for sharing such personal and absolutely and private information about what a struggle that was for you mm-hmm. thank you yeah i think everybody has had a paranormal event in their life but they just kind of like blow it off it's like yeah it's nothing and mm-hmm. um i i was like that too i'm certain looking back i'm certain i you know after this film i thought you know back in my childhood maybe there were some things that happened that could have been but i never really gave it credence you know um but in terms of dealing with a shaman and demonic depossession, yes, my first time <laughs> dealing with uh, EVPs with Michael Markowitz. Um, yep, having them happen to me, uh, definitely, and they happened a lot more once I started doing it. So, um, you know, it did open the door. I actually stopped doing some stuff when I was getting a little too freaky, some of the stuff. So I just, you know, 
it's easy. For me, it was easier to just, you know, just like if you're drinking too much, you stop or whatever. If you're smoking, you stop. I mean, I've always been able to do stuff but then stop if I had to. So I just, you know, I, I would stop doing stuff if I thought it was going to get a little, if it was going to be a little too easy to access, you know, things. That, like, reminds me so much of us and how we got started right? in this. Because, exactly. like, we kicked this off being like, we want to hear your personal stories, which we still do. Please call us. <laughs> Please, God. <laughs> we wanted to hear your stories, mm -hmm. you, our listeners, of your experiences, because we've heard all of these instances of people being like, I don't actually believe in that stuff, but there was this one time. This one time that something might have happened. I was a little, little drunk, yeah. but and it was quite dark. Exactly. But, you know, that got us being like, well, is there something more to this? Hey listeners, want to stay up to date on what we're up to and get some sneak peeks of the people we're interviewing, the places we're investigating, and the spooky stuff that's scaring us right now? Follow us on Instagram where we'll post updates all the time. You can find us there at Midnight Society Pod. And if you've had a paranormal experience and you'd like to share it, you can get in touch with us at midnightsocietyae at gmail.com or give us a call at 978-938-4BOO. That's 978-938-4266. Well, that's why I relate to this documentary so much, because it was really just that like very naturally occurring curiosity that drew Bob to these people who, you know, have a knowledge of something, some facet of the paranormal that he didn't have a knowledge of. So right. sort of like, OK, let's find some answers or at least attempt to do so. And this has me thinking about certain like phenomenon or thought processes where it's like you look back mm -hmm. on, a, on that weird experience that you're like, did did that happen? Is that, did that actually happen to me or did I make that up? Is that what we right. talked about in episode one? Is that a false memory? Right. But if you're still questioning it, you're like, maybe it did happen. I don't know. Yeah. So that happens, what, with like UFO abductees? It's a thing? Exactly. Yeah. They're, yeah. People are like, oh, they're crazy. They say they got abducted by a UFO, but like, is it actually... Like, because they're kind of open and more willing right. to be experiencing something unusual that they're going to be abducted. Exactly. If and you I believe think that's that sort of thing. In the sort of place. like that turning point for Bob, the one that I find so relatable, is that point where you become open. Right. So it's clear from, you know, what he's told us already that he had some life experiences that sort of, in a way, flipped the switch and, you know, ignited that curiosity um, and possibly made him a little bit more open to these experiences. Right. Being sounds, open to the possibility. Yep. It sounds a little bit like maybe that was what prompted the reflection on, you know, things in his childhood that could have been a paranormal experience. Yeah. And then that was really reinforced by what I think, to my mind, from our conversation was the first really acknowledged and recorded experience he had with the paranormal, which is a video that Bob posted online called The Ghost in Emily's Crib. Which happened to his child. Which exactly. I think yeah, it was essentially like... It almost looks like a baby monitor video. Yes. It's um, like a video of a baby monitor because I think this was, I think he said 2010. So this was like... Way before he really like, like got going on Afraid of Nothing. Right. And not really high-end video cameras. So I think he just like kind of pointed a phone at his baby monitor. Yeah. So we actually have a little bit of audio from that video for you here. Um, and it, we'll just let Bob on the audio explain to you what he's seeing better than we could. Okay, so this is 
the baby monitor. You see that kind of like film stuff going over the monitor. Our daughter is sleeping. It looks like you almost see like little feet in the bottom walking on the bed, moving back and forth. Um, actually, the video of the ghost in Emily's crib, which is my daughter, was in 2010. So, and I started filming this movie around 2017. So it was well before. Uh, and this was actually before we even knew my daughter had autism. Um, there were, uh, you know, there was a she had a crib, and my other daughter had a bed in a small room. And we had noticed over the course of like two weeks, there was this weird type of, you know, white spidery, ghostly, sinewy thing kind of traipsing and dancing across her when she's sleeping. And it had just appeared. And then my wife would point it out and, you know, it would be late at night and I'd be like, I was, you know, we didn't, we check and it was nothing and, you know, went to sleep, right? And it kept happening over the course of two weeks. And one time I was in the living room watching the monitor and appeared again. I said, you know what? I And this is, again, 2010, so lousy video cameras. So I got a very kind of old uh, video camera and just took kind of a low-grain, low-quality uh, video of the monitor. But you can still make out going across it. It's on YouTube, by the way. If you Google the ghost in Emily's crib, you'll see this, this kind of thing going across her. And some people said, oh, nice spider web or whatever or interference or different – you know, uh, I don't know, frequency waves coming from broadcast signals or whatever, but this wasn't a one-time thing. This was over the course of several weeks, whether it was at night, in the morning, whether we moved the bed, moved the camera, whether we checked the window, put down the, 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 the shades, opened them up, the same thing occurred in different light situations. So we didn't have an explanation for it. And after um, I shot this video, I think we got rid of the crib shortly thereafter, and it never came back again. So we never kind of figured out what it was. But that was kind of the first one with my kids, my first paranormal experience. I, I'm sure there's things when I was growing up that happened that I just thought, ah, nothing, you know. I mean, one was when I was a little kid. Uh, I was in, uh, was it like Chumpsford or something? I was in, the, I was probably like four or something. I was in a bedroom with my brothers. And I opened my eyes and I saw like a shadow figure. I thought it was a man with a mask, like a burglar looking down at me. And I closed my eyes. And then I woke up the next morning and I mentioned to my family, I said, did you see that person? And they looked at me like I was nuts. Like, no, no, you're fine. Nothing, you know. But I know in, in my memory, I remember it vividly. It's one of my first memories of my childhood. Later on, after I'd graduated, shortly after I graduated high school, I remember driving on the road, and right behind me, like, a motorcycle appeared up very, very close, and there was this weird type of face under a helmet. And then I looked in the mirror again, and it was gone, you know? And I thought, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, you know, you just say, I just, I didn't, like, think about it much. I just kind of let it go. And I, I remembered those after I was making this film, and other things were starting to happen to me, so... I always thought I had tunnel vision with the paranormal, but I guess, you know, um, I just never really was open to it. I was interested in it. I always loved reading ghost books, but I never was open to it or felt that it would channel through to me at any point. All right. So we've clearly established that Bob came to this in pure and simple curiosity. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that once he started digging into it, he actually started to dredge up some of those memories from his childhood. Right. That feels like a lot like actually when I talked to my mom a few episodes back and yeah. started thinking about things that had happened in my childhood, yeah, things that I had said, nope, that never happened. And then she started talking about it and I was like, well, shit, that actually did happen. Right, right. You had like confirmation. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I think it's worth it now to start introducing some of the people that Bob drew into the documentary. 
So we've talked about Brad Little Frog. Um, he's a shamanic healer. Um, and Bob met him when Brad came to meet with his uh, daughter who has autism. And um, so he's just one, and we'll hear about him in just a minute. Um, but we also have Michael Markowitz, who was an EVP specialist, um, which is crazy uh, to think about that somebody is actually specializing in that. But you can rest assured that we'll hear a little bit from him a li- later on. Yeah, I really hope we can uh, get him to look into some of the EVPs that we've captured. Yes, definitely. He seems to be a real expert in like the tools of the tree. Yeah, exactly. I would love to learn a thing or two mm-hmm, from him. For sure. Um, we have Bob Berman, who is an astronomer, and he's one of the authors of a book called Beyond Biocentrism. Mm -hmm. And he brought a little bit more of a semi-scientific lens to it. You know, so he wasn't so much of a person who has uh, sort of a vision or a feeling, but he tried to come to it from more of a black and white perspective, I feel. Yep. And we have Susan Dame Green. Um, She is a past life regression specialist who practices in Salem, um, and her business is called the Salem Center for Past Life Regression. For some reason, I didn't realize she was in Salem. Yeah. Jeff Belanger, Bellinger. um, Sorry, Jeff. Uh, He's an author, a podcaster, and a lecturer who focuses on the paranormal, um, and he has been described in some uh, ways as a ghost storyteller. Sounds like someone we should talk to. Yeah, totally. He specializes in New England for sure. And then finally, somebody a little bit more close to home is Lori Bruno. Lori Bruno. Who is the witch in Salem. She has a shop in Salem called Magica. Magica. And actually, just prepping for this episode, we learned a couple of things about her that was really interesting and maybe not so paranormal. Primarily, in my opinion, the most exciting one was that Michael Dukakis gave her an award in 1996 for protecting the children of the Commonwealth. So she is truly a treasure a to gem. us. A gem. But let's hear a little bit more about Brad. Let's start with him since he is what kicked off this whole process. So his mother died and he felt kind of like I did, like kind of empty, you know. But then he got a call from his sister who had some kind of experiences from her mother. He, as he found the right person to be a mentor and to train him, I think he had to, he kind of was hard time finding the right person to, to help him because he was having this awakening, but he didn't quite he was almost an advanced awakening. Like as he got training, it was like, I'm not learning this. I'm just kind of rediscovering this, you know? It's like you're not teaching me anything new. You're just kind of – it's just re- I'm just rediscovering something I already knew, you know? So it was like awakening for him. And the first, you know, 30, 40 years of his life, he was a rock merchandise guy. He'd be going traveling with bands, um, and he would be – they'd be selling rock mer- – you know, T-shirts and things like that and traveling all across the country. And then, like, it was a business he had, and then he sold it, and he started doing this. So Brad, just like Bob, came to this late in life, Mm -hmm. which I found to be really interesting because it's clear, and you'll hear some clips with him in a few minutes, that he is an expert at what he does. Um, So... The next clip that we're going to hear was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, There were some places that they went to in the film that we've gone to, we've talked about already, the Lizzie Borden house, Um, some we haven't talked about already, but that Aaron's been to, the SK Pierce mansion. Yep. I haven't been inside of it because they've been redoing it. Mm -hmm. I think they're trying to make it a and b of some sort, but Mm -hmm. uh, we made a stop there and I took some photos outside. It's actually the photo for the Haunted Mansions, or Haunted Mansions, Haunted Houses episode. Oh, fun. So, yeah, I mean, they've been to some places with Brad in the documentary that um, 
had some interesting results. Uh, the last one they went to was the Magic Parlor in Salem, which we will actually have a mini investigation from for you later this month. Do, do, do. Do, do, do. So here's a little bit more about Brad. It starts off with a depossession. He's deep, he's doing a depossession in his house on a woman who was suicidal. You know, I didn't put that in the film, but actually she was very suicidal, and she offered to be in the film for free just to get the session because she needed it. You know, she was kind of on and he, you know, what he did was almost like a kind of a mixture of a clearing and Reiki, you know, where he just kind of lifted a bunch of bad stuff off of her, a bunch of bad entities, or at least that was her perception, you know, because she was fine afterwards. But, you know, and then there was, uh, I think, you know, um, at the Lizzie Borden house, I think Brad went to that house thinking maybe it was probably overhyped. He didn't have a lot of expectations. He didn't actually know the history a lot of it either. He didn't. None of these houses that he read, it was just kind of like, let's go here, let's go here. Um, and that one, he had a lot of uh, interesting experiences and experiences of stuff that you don't normally hear about. And unfortunately, in the film, you know, I did like a postmortem where they said, wow, that was really good, especially when he picked up in this room, which was the Jose Nolton room, which was the children's room, or in the mm -hmm. basement, you know, because I had to cut it back, you know, just for the pacing right. of it. Um, I did a little bit of that in the S.K. Pierce house. So here's what he's talking about with the S.K. Pierce house. So Brad, why don't we head up to the third floor, mostly uh, the servants' quarters. My sadness. So a lot of pain you've, yeah. you feel. Emotional pain. Not like over there. Mm -hmm. No. Very, um... <laughs> sobbing mm. and, and 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 crying in a, in a corner And then after that happened, mm -hmm. something, notably, something very strange happened. Yeah. So Bob didn't have a huge crew for any of this documentary. He had a sound guy, basically. He's and basically like us, just pulling himself up by the bootstraps, exploring <laughs> his interests. <laughs> Doing what he can with the equipment at his fingertips, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, which is really the issue at hand here. Um, he was operating the boom or doing something similar. The sound guy who was interviewed in the documentary said that during this period in the S.K. Pierce house, there was some equipment that was malfunctioning the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, they were on the third floor. Mm -hmm. um, Lots and of crackles. Exactly. You'll hear a it. A lot of interference. Absolutely. And the interference was only affecting Little Frog's mic. Right. And that's so interesting. I feel like that happens in a lot of these like ghost shows and things that you mm -hmm. see where it's like your audio cuts out, your battery dies. It's just so inconvenient, right? Right. At the climax. Well, and shit hits the fan. This person is controlling so many aspects of the sound, right? Mm -hmm. But the only thing that's being affected is connected to the man who is being affected. Who's doing energy work. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that sort of led me into this question of, like, of course, I need to know what moments freaked you out the most during the documentary. Mm -hmm. 
So, look, the one thing that happened to me at the end of this thing, um, which I haven't told a lot of people, was I was in bed one night and um, literally felt like something left out of my chest. I mean, I was awake. It was at night, and I knew I was awake. I literally almost felt my ribcage opening up, and something almost leapt out. And I was fearful. My first thought was, Jesus, was that my soul? I mean, it sounds crazy, you know, or was that like an entity or what? So, and that was after going to a lot of these different places. It's been over a year since then. I've been fine and all that stuff, and I've gone to Reiki Masters and, you know, been cleared and stuff. But that was like the most dramatic thing where it wasn't seeing a ghost. It was literally having something inside you leap out, which was freaky. That reminds me so much of when we first started this project. Right. And I, I ended up having those really strange experiences. I know. When he was saying this, I thought of you immediately. Um, and then he went on to talk about how he eventually just had to clear everything out of his home mm -hmm. that had to do with the work he was doing on the documentary. You've opened a door. And that's why now I'm so preachy about protection. Absolutely. Yeah. even though I've always had those kind of ideas about protection and I was taking the steps it's like clearly you fucking open a door you're mm -hmm. welcoming these weird things to yes happen. and protection wasn't necessarily a theme that ran throughout afraid of nothing mm -hmm. but um just as a little foreshadowing for you listeners yes we little are frog. going to have exactly we're gonna have some talks with little frog um and he is going to give us some insight about how to protect ourselves if we're looking into the afterlife or into the paranormal yes i think the stuff that freaked me out the most i mean brad being almost crying on the third floor and the sk pierce yeah. you know it's seeing a very sad woman and this is a big, strong guy, not afraid of demons and stuff, but having to walk out of a room saying, i got to get out of here. I, I'd never seen that before. Um, and I think the other thing, but wasn't with Brad, was with Mike Markowitz, the EVP specialist, was, you know, uh, the EVPs that we got. So that is a really nice transition into one of the people I personally found most interesting in the film, which was Michael Markowitz. Um, and he was their EVP specialist, and he had some incredibly compelling and spooky EVPs to show us during the film. You know, um, so in the documentary, we Mike does a kind of overview of EVPs, and he has like thousands. But one of his best ones is when he when he's in a house and a gunshot goes off, and no one hears it <laughs> until they play it back, and they're this old house. It's like a colonial gunshot goes off. It's like, it's like if I'm talking to you and a gunshot goes off, and we don't hear it, but then we play it back, it's there, you know? This is actually a gunshot that I captured um, at a house in East Bridgewater, Massachusetts. And, um, and it's a gunshot. Um, just to set the recording up, you know, the family's coming back into the house because we were recording in their home, and they wanted to stay out, so... They were coming back into the house, and one of the investigators was talking about the smell of roses, the smell of perfume or rose upstairs, and then a gunshot goes off. And um, it's, it's very, very prominent, and it actually boosts my signature, uh, my uh, decibel signature on the screen, over 120 decibels. And it's, if I had it set differently, it might, I might have been able to capture the whole thing, but you really don't know when this is going to happen. So um, this is the uh, the gunshot. Dad, I saw roses. Yep. Like that. Now, I just peeked in whoever's room is at the to the yeah, You have a big candle on the bureau, yep. but it's grapefruit yep. or something. So nobody reacts to it. Nobody um, 
you know, dove under the table or said, wow, what was that sound? Because nobody heard that at the time. It just showed up on the recording, that, and that's it. And that's actually really remarkable because how does something with over 120 decibels of sound, which is very, very loud, how does that happen to impregnate itself into the recording without anybody hearing it? The other two in that section were actually, I had mentioned things started happening to me. Um, after dealing with going to the two haunted houses and dealing with the demonic board, I, I had a long commute to work, and there's a garage, a five-story garage, you know, where I would park on the top, or not, you know, rather than park on the parking lot because you wouldn't get flagged. You could park there and have a shorter walk. I always listen to FM radio stations. I listen to sports radio, like WEI or whatever. But for one day, for one reason, it was an AM station. I don't know why. And as I was going into the garage, some weird, almost garbledy noises came out. And as I drove around, you know, you drive around a garage, it's like a circular oval thing. As I was like, every time I like circled around the end, it would come in, you know, really like weird stuff, you know. And it did it, you know, as I was circling around. And I would say, well, is it just, you know, maybe it's just today or whatever. So I did it for like four or five days straight. Then finally I recorded it, and I sent it to Michael Markowitz, and I think you saw in, you know, one was really loud, like, they're hiding me, you know, which is crazy. Another one said, you know, they're coming, you know. And I think it also said, what did he expect? And then someone said, like, I'm going to swear if it's or F God, you know, mm-hmm. which every day after I started doing this, I always start with a positive, you know, I, gratitude. And I say, I thank, thank the Lord, my God, Jesus Christ, my Savior, God, and angels, God, and spirit for all the love and protection blessings that you give me, you know, kind of like Brad would say. And then, you know, if I need help, I'll ask for help. But every day I say that so that it said F God, I thought was kind of interesting. You know, I was like, OK, is that a shot at me? You know, um, Bob, you had one from your car. You know, he had uh, the radio station, uh, AM radio station, turned on. And because he was in a parking garage at the time, the radio station wasn't fully coming in, so it was very distorted. However, through that distortion, all of a sudden a clear voice pops up. It doesn't sound like it, sh- it belongs on that, uh, on that AM radio station because it doesn't sound like a broadcast voice. So this one here is... is um, a voice that says they're coming, like almost like the person's uh, afraid that, like, you know, oh, here they come, kind of a thing. Now, there's a lot more in that. Um, you can hear the other voices in there. Um, and I believe there's a woman's voice in there, too. And maybe this is a, you know, a two way communication that's going on with some spirits. And for some reason, the uh, AM radio picks it up. Okay, so we've heard a lot from a couple of these folks, but we want to keep moving through some of the other individuals mm-hmm. that were interviewed and featured. Yes. You know, the film is broken up into a bunch of, it's a bunch of disparate type of, you know, interviews with witches and shamans and psychics, astronomers who are authors of a kind of a quantum 
there's a guy who wrote a book on quantum, uh, which is called Biocentrism, which is like our consciousness creates reality versus the other way around, you know. And there's a guy named Dr. Robert Lanza, who I was going to interview. He lives in Massachusetts, but I didn't hear from him. So his co-author, who could actually take the concept and make it so people could understand it, his name's Bob Berman. He's a really well-known, well-regarded astronomer. He's up in New York. I interviewed him, you know. Um, so I had, you know, um, the part that you're talking about, the past life regression, is there's a guy, he's an actor who I met. Pretty much I'd meet people that introduced me to others, you know. So I met a uh, a medium called the Beantown Medium. She's very – it's hard to get an appointment with her. She's, like, booked a year ahead. You know, she's just she's so popular. Um, and she introduced me to Kyle Carvin, who's an, who's an actor who she had done a reading for and had a connection with him with uh, Salem and the Witch Trials. And other people had said that about Kyle. And he had always – he grew up in New York. He's an actor. He lives in Atlanta now, but he's been in L.A. He's been all over. He's been on a lot of shows. He's a really good-looking guy. He's been on a lot of TV stuff. Um, he um, He's always had, like, an affinity for Salem, but he doesn't know why. You know, he's always drawn to it. And he didn't grow up here, you know. So part of that section, you know, within it, you know, so there's sections throughout the movie, you know, Afraid of nothing, where we talk about maybe, you know, the Big Bang and what happened before, or afraid of demons, afraid of voices, the EVPs, um, afraid of ghosts, afraid of psychics. And there was one part right after that, afraid of reincarnation. So I just, he just came down for a day, and we did like a, we did a witch tour, then we went and talked to a past life regressionist, and then we talked to a witch, you know. Um, the past life regressionist, she didn't send him into a past life. She said, nope, I'm not going to do that. I just will talk about the process, you know, because it takes – Apparently, it takes a lot of sessions. You just can't go in and slam, bam, thank you, ma'am, have something, right? It's, it's, uh, there's kind of like, you know, initial interviews, and you go through – you don't just kind of just go into it willy-nilly. I think there's a process that takes someone through it, you know? A lot of the people I met um, were so genuine and, you know, so had such conviction – it's kind of hard to not – if they believe you, – it's a minimum. I mean, Jeff Belanger says he's a ghost hunter, pretty well-known guy. He has a podcast called New England Pod – I think New England Legends podcast. He's like, you know, I can't tell you. If, I, I wasn't there. If you saw a ghost, I'll trust you. I mean, I believe that you believe, you know. So I – that was my view on a lot of this stuff is I, I like the people. I didn't think they were scam artists. I felt that they had conviction in whatever I talked to them about, and so I presented it that way. I didn't like, you know, uh -huh. make – put you know, impose my decisions or my biases on it. I just let it unfold. But – you know, like Susan Damgreen, who did the past life regression stuff. I mean, she's very credible. I mean, she's just this nice woman, and she had kind of a ghost experience that she shared at the end, too, you know. So mm -hmm. some people it's easy not to believe because they come across as, you know, acerbic or vitriolic or whatever, but that wasn't the case with the people that I got for this film. So I, I tended to give them the benefit of the doubt, and I'd lean more to trusting them than not to believing them. So I do want to jump in here and just – talk a little bit about past life regression. It's a hot topic and very controversial. So in general, I think people can all agree that like confronting your past and like dealing with your traumas from the past is generally a pretty good idea mm -hmm. to kind of like sort that shit out. Most therapists try to do that with you. Yeah. And so originally the theory was that like if you could deal with the trauma from your past life, that's even better because like, you know, let's say you're afraid of water and then you in your past life regression hypnotherapy session you found out that in a past life you drowned so mm -hmm. maybe if you could confront that you would not be afraid of water yeah, past anymore. life regression can help you live your best life right so that was the idea 
and even I do think there is something to just constructing the fantasy of what uh-huh. may have happened in your past life could be interesting and maybe like unlock some interesting pieces of information. But basically a lot of psychotherapists came together and have spoken out that like actually when people go into these hypnotherapy sessions and experience this, it's as, it's as vivid as a real life mm-hmm. experience. And, and guess what? If it was traumatic in the past life, it's going to be traumatic yeah. in the now life. Whether or not it's it's real and an actual thing or not, if, if you're experiencing it like it is happening now mm-hmm. it is going to be traumatic mm-hmm. um so you know hot topic we just want to put that out there totally I, we don't want everyone to go sign up for past life regressions which is what i almost did after i saw the documentary <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Very interested, but go into it knowing that it will be a commitment that you will actually need to get emotionally and psychologically involved and that it is a lot of work. Um, not saying that there isn't a benefit to it, that you shouldn't have a consultation, but make it that. Make the first visit be a consultation. Yeah, and if you're anything like us, you're just curious, mm-hmm. you know, and Absolutely. sometimes there's something to just kind of like checking it out or whatever. And sometimes it's difficult to actually find, you know, people to talk to about this stuff and like Mm -hmm. explore it and finding resources I know and even in Salem like I was surprised to find that we just right in Salem we had like a past life regression specialist right Mm -hmm. at our fingertips and Bob told me she's booked out so if you want in there you guys contact her soon honestly um but that was actually my next question for him like what what advice do you have for people who maybe are interested in looking further into any of these topics or maybe for people like Bob who are interested in starting this like monumentally large project like Mm -hmm. when you think about the afterlife where do you start exactly and he just found a way to make sure everybody was represented and where do you end oh my god (laughs) (laughs) sorry everyone wow i think that needed to be said though (laughs) (laughs) okay going to the clip yes you know with me kind of like life this thing just unfolded you know i just kind of I, I, you know, if you're going to, I'd have different types of, um, you know, guidance, I think. If you're going to make a movie, I would say, you know, go ahead and do it. Now's the time. You have the, and I would do a documentary before I would do uh, a feature because I've done both. And a feature takes a lot more money, a lot more time. It's a lot more people. It's a lot more complicated. A documentary you can do with yourself, like, you know, you could do it just yourself or you could do it with a very, very small crew and do it on your on weekends, on your time, and your on your terms, you know. Um, regarding ghost hunting, you know, I'd be a little more cautious about that. I would um, introduce myself. You know, I would go to meetings or join groups and just spend, you know, a good half a year learning and then maybe see if you could be injected into it. I would be almost like I was in the film observational, you know, about it rather than just throwing yourself in. Um, no matter what you want to do, if you have a belief in it, Go do it, and it'll it'll happen for you. With, with this film, for me, how, how did I meet these people? I had some existing connections, and then other stuff. Just one connection led to another connection, led to another connection. You know, and so if you kind of, you know, your attitude has a lot to do with it. If you're open and you're willing to let things happen, a lot better things happen than if you're closed-minded and think you're going to fail. You know, or if you're afraid of it. Solid advice. He's dead on. That's he, like absolutely. Yeah. When you ask somebody, what would you do if you wanted to make a ghost hunting documentary in this area? He hit it. 
on yeah, the Yeah, or even like doing ghost hunting. You know, my one fear, honestly, with doing the podcast is I don't want to encourage people to just go willy-nilly investigating things. I think we've been strong or advocates of like... I don't jump into things and be taken advantage of themselves. Oh, right, exactly. And I think we've been strong advocates of, you know, doing things to protect yourself and mm-hmm. educate yourself. And, and I hope that the audience gets that. Don't just go into things without knowing anything about it. Um, do a little bit of research. So great advice. Absolutely. All right. So here's my big takeaway. Bob Heskey's film is leaps and bounds away from your average paranormal investigation or documentary on that topic. It really, really attempts to maintain objectivity while still giving a voice to the community of paranormal specialists in our area. He himself really doesn't feature much in the documentary, but I feel like his perspective draws from his personal experience and the compassion he has for people on both sides of that experience, whether they're believers or they're skeptics or they haven't experienced something or they experience it every day. He's, he cares for them mm-hmm. and he wants to know what they think. So if you're interested in hearing a little bit more from Bob, you can look into a couple of things that he's already got going in the meantime. He's self-published a series of short story comics called Cold-Blooded Chillers. He has lots of scripts that he would always love to foray into other projects. Obviously, he loves to collaborate with people in his community, so if you're interested in doing something creative, please reach out to him. He has his movie Blessed, which came before Afraid of Nothing and is a drama, um, but you should definitely check it out. All right, everybody. That's Thanks it. for riding along. Thanks for listening, and I hope you all check out Afraid of Nothing. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Until the next new moon. Until the next new moon. Goodbye. Bye. Special shout out and thanks to the Tenafly Vipers for the opening song, Come Ride the Bull. Also, special shout out to David Miller for helping us with some background music. <laughs>